I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to the RHS Gardening Podcast, Chelsea Flower Show Special. I'm Sue Biggs, Director General of the Royal Horticultural Society. Some people think that the Chelsea Flower Show is all about posh frocks and big budgets, but it isn't. Chelsea's about passion and excellence in gardening, and Chelsea's a fantastic place to find a wealth of ideas for your garden. To mark 100 years of the Chelsea Flower Show this week, in this podcast we have exclusive interviews with a selection of the internationally renowned designers who have created Chelsea Gardens this year. Ginny Blom, Christopher Bradley-Hole, Adam Frost, Ulf Nordfell and Roger Platz. Over the next 30 minutes we'll be hearing their inspirational insights, tips and techniques. What are the designers' style plants this year? What challenges have they faced? And what ideas can they give gardeners at home? They'll discuss surprising planting combinations and ideas for novel features, sustainability in wildlife, family gardens, growing your own fruit and vegetables, and ideas for small spaces and containers. So whether you have a country cottage, a suburban semi-detached, a few containers on a balcony or your window ledge, there's something at Chelsea to inspire everyone who loves their garden. Hi, I'm Ginny Blom and I'm at Chelsea Flower Show this year designing the B&Q Centre Bali Forget-Me-Not Garden for the charity Centre Bali, whose main patron is Prince Harry. The garden is a contemporary interpretation of the country of Lesotho, which is a landlocked kingdom in South Africa, which is where the charity Centre Bali is based, and it looks after children whose lives have been devastated by the HIV-AIDS virus. The garden is, is quite unusual. I've taken elements that I saw in Lesotho and have made a contemporary interpretation of them because I didn't really want to make an African pastiche garden. So I've made a garden with a representation of a mountain because it's a very mountainous country and I've done that using contour lines in stone and then on the top of the mountain is a pavilion which is an interpretation of the roundhouses that everyone has over there. At the front of the garden I've got a terrace which is based on a Basoto blanket design. The people over there wear blankets because it's perishing cold actually and wet like whales and there are not herds of wildebeest and giraffes and um, tigers and things like that as people might imagine. There are sheep, cows, grass and rain. <laughs> lots and lots of rain. That floats over a, a mossy bed of um, Mother of Thousands, Solarolia. Then I've got a damp willow valley because in Lesotho it's a very water-rich country and the 
valleys are amazingly just full of willow and poplar. They're absolutely amazing. I've got a plant called Zalusian Skyer, which is this wonderful little ground cover night stock, they call it. It smells very, very pungent at night. And forget-me-nots clearly have to be woven into everything. So it's an unusual planting, but it's very pretty, actually. Well, I think if you want to try this at home, most of it's very easy planting. I don't like plants that cause you headaches. I think all the plants are worth trying. I think the Zalusian sky is definitely worth trying, especially if you've got a small, you know, if you've got pots, just have a few in pots by the back door and in the evening they'd scent a whole terrace. They'd be wonderful. I'm going to do it at home, actually. I've thrilled myself with that one. And the other thing I absolutely love are the Turkish tulip poppies, Papava Glauca, which are dead easy and I've never seen a colour like it. It's the most beautiful red. So I just think spots of colour take the colour combinations maybe you know the damp valley has got lovely plummy shades pinky plummy shades going through it I think there's something for everybody and I think the front I shouldn't say it of my own work but it looks like a floral clock Ginny Blom designer of the B&Q Centre Bali forget-me-not garden at the 2013 RHS Chelsea Flower Show you can find more information and photos of all the gardens featured in this podcast on the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. More and more people in the UK are becoming interested in growing their own fruit and vegetables. Designer Adam Frost has decided to take veg out of the kitchen garden and put it centre stage. I'm Adam Frost, I'm a garden designer, and this year I'm designing a garden at Chelsea called Sowing the Seeds of Change for Home Base. It's for a family, the couple that they love gardening. They've got kids that are just leaving primary school, going to secondary school. So in a sense, when I think we lose children to horticulture, so the garden's inspired to encourage them to garden. It works in two ways, harvest and habitat. So it's somewhere we can harvest and habitat and somewhere wildlife can harvest and habitat. So that's what drives the garden. My garden is inspired by Jeff Hamilton's old ornamental kitchen garden. So actually the garden's all about interplanting. So to explain that, um, we grow ornamental rhubarb, we grow edible rhubarb, we grow ornamental currants, we grow edible currants. Why not just use the edibles? So actually the trees in the garden are all fruit trees, underplanted with currants, raspberries, crab, gooseberries. So you imagine that sort of understory with these big apple trees above it. And then we start to introduce the interplanting. So with that, it's the ornamentals, so all our flowers and our shrubs are still planted with our edibles. So we seem to live in this world that we seem to have to have a separate vegetable area, which I can't understand the logic. And when I looked into it, it ultimately boils down to, I think, the fact that Victorians were snobs and decided, you know, veg was vulgar, so that needed to be somewhere else. And the world we now live in, we've got queues for allotments... Um, we've all got smaller gardens. So really, this idea of actually interplanting within your borders makes perfect sense. Jeff's idea was 1990-ish, so it, I've tried to update it by bringing in foraging. So there's other plants we can eat, like some of the ferns we can eat, there's hostas we can eat, you can eat some of my hedge. The um, Japanese and the Chinese eat hostas a bit like we do asparagus. So as it comes out of the ground, they just nip it off and then obviously steam it or actually I think at times even eat it raw which actually I think is a really cool thing to do because if you cut them off before the slugs get them walk out in the garden and the slugs go what's happened so and that hosta 
that we can eat is called Hosta Montana. Um, you can't eat all of them, but Hosta Montana. Um, and the ferns, you can eat the Medusa fern. Again, eat the leaves. Um, I've been feeding it to people in my garden. They're all a little bit wary to start with, and then all of a sudden, oh, right. And actually it tastes um, a bit like rocket, I suppose, just not quite as spicy. My favourite elements of the garden are my big, long reels, which are dipping ponds for kids. I had a really scruffy nan. She used to hoard everything, so we, she used to collect Belfast sinks, and she would have these things all around the garden, and all of a sudden you'd find one, and you'd start pulling it, and you'd pull out everything, you know, from newts to snails to plants. And, and I look back now, and I think that was totally fascinating to me as a kid. So I've reintroduced those in a modern way. I mean, one of my, you know, my dipping ponds is nine metres long. They're all planted up, some edibles, different plants to encourage wildlife. So that's my favourite element of the garden. My favourite plants, I think, been have to work things like gooseberries, and raspberries you know in with things like astrantias and geraniums that's what i find really cool about this space is when you look at it you think yeah it's an ornamental space and it looks pretty and then you say have a second look and you think yeah but that's a gooseberry yeah but that's a currant and oh there's the rhubarb so that's what i think is really cool about the garden the garden i've designed at chelsea is not only a social space but it's a place where kids can learn i do believe that if a child understands what goes on outside their back door they'll understand the world and how important our environment is adam frost designer of the home base garden sowing the seeds of change i'm sue biggs director of the Royal Horticultural Society, and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast, Chelsea Flower Show Special. The RHS works hard to increase awareness of the pests and diseases threatening our gardens. Joe Thompson's garden at Chelsea highlights the beauty of British native plants and trees and the need to protect them. I'm Joe Thompson and I've designed the Ferrer Garden. In this garden, we've got a group of beautiful living trees. We've also got a slightly more sinister aspect, which is the avenue of dead trees. In fact, they're dying. We, we, they were cut down four months ago as part of normal woodland management. You know, they weren't murdered just for this show. But um, we've noticed that even four months doesn't necessarily finish a tree off and they are coming into leaf. The walls in this garden look fairly harmless on first sight. They're grey, they're concrete. And then when, when you examine them, you see that there's a pattern that's been imprinted quite roughly into these panels. And this pattern isn't, in fact, as harmless as it first appears it actually represents the magnified images of pathogens such as Phytophthora remorum and Calara fraxineus ash dieback fungus all the trees that are in this garden either have been under threat or are under threat or even could be under threat from these and other pathogens for example we've got an elm tree in there now it's a new variety a resistant variety and i don't need to say too much about dutch elm disease we all know what havoc that wreaked we've also got an oak tree in there and there's been quite a lot of news recently about the oak processionary moth 
we've got field maples and a silver birch. So trees that are really, really familiar to us, these are all under threat. There's also a London plain and in France they've had to cut down 42,000 of these London planes along the Canal du Midi and that disease is, you know, it's just over the channel. So whatever we can do to try and prevent these diseases coming in, you know, the better. It'll save money, it'll save our landscape. In the middle of the panel, there's a pretty little leaf, which is the leaf of a floating pennywort. We can't have that in the garden at Chelsea because it is an invasive, non-native plant, and we don't want to encourage people to plant those in their garden. So the way we represented that was by having it on the wall. And again, it's just, just to be aware that however pretty a plant or a plant leaf, it may not be as beautiful as it first looks. Look at Japanese knotweed, for example. The brief for this garden was that there was to be a sinister part to it and a beautiful part to it. And I was quite relieved when I, I saw that there needed to be a pretty part because I like pretty planting. So there are the umbellifers in there. I've got good old cow parsley, which I do use a lot, but I love it. And I use it in real gardens as well because it does give that lovely transparent almost screen, a bit of a veil. If I had to choose one plant from this garden this year I would choose the peony Claire de Lune I love its buttery colour the Mathiocella I've used that nearly every year I love this lovely lime green slightly bonkers space alien look to it is it a hellebore is it an angelica no it's Mathiocella which is just fabulous just gives gives the garden a bit of a zing and is a good contrast against all the kind of what I call the fluffy stuff this garden hopefully will make people just, just think a little bit more about the beautiful trees that we have and what we can do to help preserve those trees and protect them from disease such as buying younger trees making sure you get your trees from good nurseries who've got good plant health regimes and if you spot anything unusual in the garden you know strange beetle you haven't seen before take a picture of it and send it to the RHS or Ferra and they will help you out better to be safe than sorry Joe Thompson designer of the Ferra garden stop the spread if you haven't already why not subscribe to the free fortnightly RHS gardening podcasts each fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening plant care pest control garden design growing your own fruit and vegetables and expert seasonal advice You can find them on iTunes or download them at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. The designer Christopher Bradley Hole has returned to Chelsea after a break of eight years. Previously, he has designed five gold medal winning gardens, two of which were awarded Best Show Garden. I'm Christopher Bradley Hole. I'm the designer of the Daily Telegraph Garden for this year's Chelsea Flower Show. The garden is an abstract composition, really. It's for... Uh, contemplation. So it's, I think it's a very calm, organised space, quite cool, a lot of greens, evergreens, bo- uh, box and yew, three hazel trees, which are looking very, very nice. And um, then it's enclosed on two sides by an oak colonnade, which is backed up by an oak uh, wall in which the oak has been charred, so that is black. Uh, so it, the whole garden feels uh, very in- enclosed, really. 
Additionally, we have three pools. Uh, the pools are made of uh, basalt, uh, a dark stone, so you're getting reflection from the sky and from the trees that are around it and, and the other plants. I think the telegraph garden is very simple. The structural planting is all native trees, box yew, hazels. They are now very mature, so they look uh, you know, very precise, but it's perfectly possible to grow those plants from very small plants, um, uh, you know, costing not a lot of money at all. Then the plants in between are a lot of meadow grasses. Um, we have a, a lovely grass, uh, Melica altissima alba. Uh, which is a beautiful grass, just um, so simple, uh, just flows with the breeze, has lovely flowers on it. And I think um, you know, that's attracting a lot of attention. And um, I think the lesson for me this year is really to try to achieve simplicity. And it's, of course, not all that easy always to achieve simplicity, but um, simplicity doesn't cost a lot of money. And um, I think it's very rewarding in the garden. There have been a few challenges in making the garden. The colonnade has 41 columns, all crafted from oak. The garden is a lot about precision, and getting those all exactly in the right place, exactly straight, takes a lot of doing, I think. And then um, building the charred oak, that's been great fun, setting fire to the wood. And then um, we have very substantial areas of box and yew, and they all line up very precisely. And, of course, that's all done with string lines, um, really quite precisely setting them out. And it takes a lot of time to do that. But I don't think that's something that uh, can't be achieved in any garden. And I think it is amazing the difference between things sort of roughly lining up and things precisely lining up. Uh, I think everyone reads that. You, you, you might think that that doesn't register. But, in fact, if things are precise, then they, it also gives a calmness in the garden, which I like very much. I like gardens to be calm and refreshing. So I would recommend taking that extra time to line things up very nicely. Christopher Bradley Hole, designer of the Daily Telegraph Garden. Swedish designer Ulf Nordfell has created a romantic garden for the French champagne house Laurent Perrier. Inspired by iconic French and Swedish garden designers, it contains inspired floral planting and an important message about environmental sustainability. My name is Ulf Nordfjell and I am a landscape architect working in Stockholm normally and doing both public work and private gardens, yes. garden I'm doing this year, my, my third time, is uh, Laurent Perrier Garden, which will celebrate, of course, uh, of the interest of gardening in France, focusing on two ladies. One of them is Nicole Vision, which was the chef designer for Hermes, and she was very keen into, uh, started doing her own gardening uh, about 70 years old, and she was uh, working with uh, relate the garden to the landscape using very simple materials, local materials, and prune them. And she was very elegant in her uh, design, but also uh, was, I would say, the key between the old-fashioned style in France and the modern garden design. She was meant a lot for the garden designers in, in France, Ulla Malin was working in south of Sweden with a totally different climate than Nicole Wiesel in south of France in Bondieu. Ulla Malin was introduced the modern garden in Sweden during the 60s, 70s. Both ladies meant a lot for me, but also for uh, both countries. But both ladies really showed that garden design is something that all the time goes on and goes on. 
in my design and using some of their fundamental uh, ideas, but also doing it my way by using grids and squares, which they probably hated. But I think by, by doing this, you also show that uh, garden history are always going further. And it's a year of celebration at RTS at Chelsea this year. So I wanted to do a garden that really celebrates uh, the century by doing it in an international way. I got the idea when I saw the garden on Nicole Wilson, who was a chef's designer for Hermes. She was absolutely stunning. I also looked, went into a Hermes shop and saw all the Hermes scarves. So we are doing a Hermes scarf by using six different violets in bluish, pink, purple and white. And they will swap around a little bit like scarves with uh, other plants planted in it. From my point of view, I prefer to use very few species, but many subspecies. So I get a variation in the colors. Of course, you can say it's a little bit minimalistic, but I want to add a romantic touch on it. The challenge is I could write a book. I could really write two books in two editions. It has been, um, we have had problems with nearly everything, the oak, the stone, the copper, and the trees. From my point of view, it's very important for the young generation also to, to influence them to just not only doing a design, but thinking how to unite the architecture with the design, but also the sustainability. And that is rather difficult, but it's very important. So you are not abusing the plants, that you are really going home and plant the plants in the right position. Ulf Nordfell, designer of the Laurent Perrier Garden. Roger Platz has created a garden for show sponsor M&G Investments, which promises inspiration for plants and garden features from over 10 decades, demonstrating how the British approach to design has evolved over the last century. I'm Roger Platz. I'm designing for the M&G Garden to celebrate the centenary of, of the Chelsea Flower Show. The garden is really in three sections. It's really representing the, the planting and the style of gardens 100 years ago and before so we give a little nod to that sort of the old cubas the spotted laurel in the back and the old iron gate and the ruined wall with a broken um, stone mullion window the heavy shiny leaves that um, that they sort of used in the victorian edwardian gardens we've then got the main part which is about 80 percent of the garden this is the timeless where gardens really have, have picked up on certain elements throughout the hundred years and before using a lot of, lot of old roses, modern roses, going right to the front where we've got a little more, more contemporary style with a sculpture made from caught end steel, which is uh, quite, quite popular these days. I think the Angel of the North has, has been made in caught end steel, and I've seen it at the shows. It's called weathering steel, so it rusts, and then which gives it its own coating of protection. For me, it's just giving a great colour. Um, as well and that's in the shape of well it represents Chelsea centenary um, but it's also a window because what I didn't mention is that uh, the theme is windows through time so we've got the sculpture window leading right through back to the uh, stone mullion window at the back 
I haven't been too specific in terms of the historical aspect. In terms of, I've I've really gone for a nod to the different eras. I'm using plants such as lavender hidcut, you know, that lovely dark purple lavender, which is great and it goes with so many different things. North American dogwoods feature quite heavily, um, and those are not the dogwoods with the coloured stems. Um, which are so useful, of course, but these are the ones with the, the bracts, and we've got a variety called Cornus Norman Haddon over the ruined wall, which has got these lovely sort of greeny bracts on them, um, and another one called Cornus Cusachinensis with white bracts, which stands out. And it just illustrates how plants have uh, varies greatly within the same family, within the same genus, um, and you can get such a contrast with them. I've been coming to Chelsea for quite a few years now. My first Chelsea was in 1976 as a student. Throughout the years of coming to Chelsea, I've seen and I've seen in, the, in, in photographs of uh, rocks, rock, big rock gardens, water gardens, ruins, all sorts of different paving, walling, summer houses, sculptures, and also the uh, more sort of environmental the conscious um, gardens with wildflowers and just more natural aspects and when you bring nature to Chelsea it, st- it stands out much much more I think so I've really tried to combine a lot of these elements without saying look oh gosh he's built a rock garden oh look he's built a water garden I've put them together hopefully in a subtle way that it just forms a, a garden as a whole and it's not really until it's pointed out why they're there that you would realise the garden really features so many different things that I, I really hope that visitors can, and viewers can really get some ideas from it. And it doesn't have to be always a riot of colour, but a balance between structure and colour is really, really important. So we've got some plants which actually, if you saw at a nursery or garden centre, I think that's a bit boring, but actually it's a great foil for some of the more interesting things. We've got an area, for example, with, with just a plain green hazel tree um, and plain green box but a different texture and yet at the other end of the garden we've got a pool uh, with water plants and aquatics so there is such a contrast I, I think that I really feel that we should better give ideas and inspiration to people right across the board and ideas of how to put plants together and what will look good together Roger Platts, designer of the M&G Centenary Garden That's all we've got time for from the RHS Chelsea Flower Show special. I hope you found something inspirational for your own patch. For more information on all the gardens and exhibitors at Chelsea, as well as stunning photos and videos, visit rhs.org.uk forward slash Chelsea. If you missed out on tickets for Chelsea this year, why not visit one of our other shows this July at Hampton Court Palace in London or Tatton Park in Cheshire. You can find details of all our shows, as well as practical horticultural guides, information and news about the RHS campaigns and gardens on the RHS website, rhs.org.uk. In the next RHS Gardening podcast, practical advice from the RHS Garden team at Wisley in Surrey. Until then, from me, Sue Biggs, and all at the Chelsea Flower Show, goodbye.
I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Crest robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.